Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. Our special guest today is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Hey, how's the weather in Austin, Texas today? It's beautiful today. I, I it some. It's going to be a high 88, I think, but it was like 75 out there. I couldn't believe that it's even summertime. It's just fantastic. Yeah, sounds like a wonderful Michigan summer. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry there at St. Paul in Austin. St. Paul is an old congregate in the Mother Lutheran Church in Austin, so we're celebrating 130 years this year. It's a um, a beautiful spot, right? Just on the hill looking over the campus and Austin itself. Austin is a really unique place in the world. Mm. And I think as the new migration really gets moving, Austin is going to continue to grow. It's a become a tech hub. It's built around the university. And so the old slogan here in Austin is keep Austin weird. Yeah. And so there's a bit of a sort of um, you know, a, just an interesting relationship between the very uh, a traditional biblical uh, life that we're painting at church versus the wild life of Austin itself. And so mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to enjoy that tension and and also shine the light of Christ into the into the midst of the of the city here and rejoicing that the Lord has has put us here um, in the midst of his his um, th- so that his kingdom would be in in the midst of all these uh, major centers of the world. Yeah, no, that's great. Hey, I, I really appreciate you taking time with us today. And and you and I ran into each other. I, I don't know that we know each other, but we bumped into each other at the Texas District Convention at the Next Step table there. And we were talking about some of your experiences during COVID. I think I even asked you what what'd you learned during COVID and things like that. And there are a couple of your answers that I really wanted to get at and share with the rest of our Next Step community. Uh, and the first one had to do with your decision to not only do a, a a video recording of your Sunday worship, but to provide some kind of video training for a, a home-based worship with your people. W- would you talk me through that one first? Just what, what was the challenge in front of you during COVID, and how did you come to that decision to do that? Sure. No, that's great. So we, I've been doing video and audio stuff for a while. So I, I'd been thinking about, you know, what is what is the difference between a sermon preached and a sermon podcasted or a service preached versus a sermon. I mean, a, a service mm-hmm. that you attend versus a service yeah. that's broadcasted. Uh, I had been watching a lot of churches simply repurpose their material into different formats. And mm-hmm. I think that neglects this basic principle, which is that the medium is the message. And there's something mm. different that happens when you move from one platform to another. So I think sermons are okay to just take the sermon audio and podcast it, but it's not the best. And mm-hmm. and if it's if you're writing a sermon with the people there in mind versus writing a sermon or preaching a sermon with the people watching online in mind, so, something different happens and there's a tension that's there. So we decided that we would, instead of trying to uh, live stream a service, that we would uh, produce a service, uh, record a service, and produce it. Uh, this would allow us to, for example, just do overlays of the texts for the hymns, yeah. so people could sing along. It would allow us to get different angles and not be disruptive. and And so we we started that um, as the uh, providing the services for our congregation as everyone was at home. Mm-hmm. And then as people started coming back, and we start the the normal life and pace of the church started coming back. Uh, I started thinking about what 
you know, what are we doing for the people who can't come to church? We, we were recording the services and editing them, and we, we still are, are doing that. But we thought, how can we better serve the people that are there? And recognizing that maybe that it's, it's something different is happening, we decided to build these sort of guided at-home services. So I would I would introduce the biblical text, and then I'd say, now pause for the pause for the reading of the text and let the people at home read the text. And I'd give a little devotion and then I'd say, let's remember these things in our prayer. Now we'll pause for prayer. So to recognize that if it's a home service, let it be a home service. Let the head of household lead the service, the father uh, who's there, or if there's no father, the mother, or if they're by themselves, they are the head of household. Let them lead the service and we'll come along as a supplement to just recognize you know what's really happening, and and to be aware of that as we as we try to be helpful for people in all their different circumstances. So uh, help me understand now. You're you're resourcing people. You're giving them these videos. Uh, in a, almost as a training. You're you're asking them. I saw. I, I watched, and I saw you say you might want to have your hymnal because there'll be some prayers you'll want to pray, and then you're inviting them to pray. So what what are you thinking about? Who helped you make this decision? And and what was kind of the theology behind a decision like that? Yeah. So it, I, I'll admit to you that the motivation was it was not sanctified at first because. <laughs> I just got tired of the idea. My, in my, and I don't know if this was happening, but my imagination was people are sitting there. Uh, they've got their pajamas on. They're sipping a cup of coffee. They've got their feet up on the on the dining room table, and they're watching the service, and they're content as can be. And I said, that's not – it's just not right. It's not the way that we should engage with the Lord's Word. And so I said, I'm going to make the people do something. Uh, and my original idea was – People would go through this home service and be like, if I got to light the candles and I got to put on shoes and I got to find my Bible, I might as well go to church. So, so that was my original motivation. And, but I think it, it, that, that sort of original anger actually resulted in something that was sanctified, which is at the end of the service, I'm able to say, thank you for letting us help you. Yeah. So, so um, you're not, if it's a home service, they're, the people at home are not joining us online. We're actually joining them yeah. and, and being a support to them. And so that sort of flipped perspective is is really helpful. We, we sh- you know, in, in the United States, we think of every home as a castle, and that's as it should be. But we should also think of every home as a chapel. Mm. And especially in times of, of persecution, which I think COVID turned out to be a time of persecution, uh, the, the church at home worships. There's a, a Martin Luther in his introduction to the Quran. So he Luther oversaw the translation of the Quran into German, and he wrote an introduction to it in which he talked about what Christians should do if, for example, they're taken off as prisoners of war. Hmm. And he talks about the catechism being the handbook for the people to be able to continue to worship and receive the gifts of God's word, even if they can't go to church to receive the body and blood and and to hear the pastor preach and so forth and so on. So. So to recognize that every home is a chapel, that every father and every mother is a pastor to their children, Mm. uh, at least a Bible teacher to their children, and to embrace those godly vocations in the home is the theology that stands behind it. So I think that's pretty important. For me, it's important to make the distinction between the Word of God and the sacraments, so we know the sacraments are part of the public life of the church. So we have the Lord's Supper when we gather together as church. We, uh, we don't have the Lord's Supper when uh, a family is gathered around the dinner table, for example. Mm-hmm. But that the Lord's Word 
and and this is kind of an interesting thing to think about. I think there's sort of two energies that are here. I don't, I don't know a, a a way that's less frou frou to say it. I wish I did, but <laughs> there, there's kind of two energies. There's a sacramental energy, which is a gathering, and then there's a the word of God energy, which is a scattering. Hmm. So the word of God beautifully goes from one place to another. The word of God goes over the internet. The word of God goes forth on on YouTube. It, it, it's sent in letters. It travels from one place to another. And so so a sermon can can be broadcast efficaciously and recorded and passed on wonderfully. But baptism, and especially the Lord's Supper, is has a gathering energy. It doesn't scatter, it gathers. So the people come together to receive those particular gifts. And it's the it's the body and blood of Jesus that keep the church as it can gathering together to receive uh, to receive these great gifts. So so the word of God goes out and it finds its place really naturally uh, in the di- around the dinner table of the Lord's people's homes. So I try to capture that idea in this idea of the home service. Mm. I really appreciate that very much, Brian. Uh, and and it seems to me that to have that theology of the word. Of course, the means of grace are word and sacrament together, so that's still a means of grace. But for you as a pastor to say, I'm going to serve my people who are worshiping at home by supporting their home worship rather than merely delivering our gathered worship is, uh, I mean, you're letting something go there. You're not disrespecting the office of pastor. You have a high view of the office of pastor. And you also recognize, I mean, to call fathers and mothers pastors for their children, Bible teachers for their children, is to say that the office of the speaker of the word belongs to the whole body, not only to the called pastor. So it seems to me like you're holding both things up together. It kind of reminded me of the video that I saw you do, because you're there in your full liturgical regalia and and you're smiling and welcoming and telling them here's what you're going to do at home now so there there was right there that beautiful kind of juxtaposition between full kind of pastoral authority and then you actually inviting them please you're going to do this uh, I, right. I, I thought that was beautiful. There's something kind of bound up in when Luther writes these words in the catechism which we move over really quick he says as the head of household should teach it to his family yeah. at home and there's there's a lot bound up to that. And I, I have not, I mean, it's easier, it's an amazing thing to me that it's easier to, for me to teach a Bible study at church than it is to to lead a devotion at home. It's kind of amazing. But to know that part of my work as a pastor is to support that in, in every home in the congregation. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for that thought, too. Uh, it's easier for me as a pastor to, to lead a Bible study at church than to lead a devotion at home. Uh, would Would you mind saying just a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, it's. I don't think this is what Jesus meant when he said a prophet is not accepted in his hometown. <laughs> but it sort of applies there, right? So, you know, your your wife and and your children know all all about you, and th- there's no illusion there. Yeah. Which there, and this should lead to in the uh, this authentic conversation about the Lord's word. Yeah. But it's just tough. I mean. I suppose, you know, you, you, you put it on the calendar to have a, a Bible study at church, and that's if, if you don't show up for that, then people notice. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, where'd pastor go? You yeah, know, if, yeah. if, you, if the sermon hymn's over and there's nobody standing in the pulpit, you get that gets noticed. <laughs> but if someone's going this way and that and, and a phone call comes at the end of the uh, dinner and all this sort of, it's just easy to, it's yeah. so much easier to get distracted at home. The devil loves that. Yeah. And so it's, it's just a, it's a difficulty. And, and I know whenever I go to confess my sins, this is always, 
like one, two, three. I confess my uh, neglect of my office of prayer, uh, both for my for my family and for my congregation, and then the, the neglect my office of of being the head of household and the teacher of my children. That's always this this um, neglect because there's so much more to do, and it's so easy to get distracted and off track. I think that's exactly point on, and, and I imagine that if we as pastors can feel that that our uh, that the people sitting in the pew on Sunday morning must feel that even even more. So, to invite them to to leadership, even if it's lighting candles or at least putting on shoes, uh, I think that's gone at least a, a small way in helping equip them for for that office of bringing the word to their household, their not only their castle but their chapel. I like that imagery too. Hey, another thing we talked about there down down in Texas was your decision. To, you were trying to decide whether or not to, I, I think it was, to put a Bible class on Zoom, and you're trying to figure out whether you should do it or not. Would you would you tell me about the question at issue there and, and the answer you came to? Sure, sure, sure. So there's sort of, you know, all, with all the different, so there's probably three different questions there. Uh, on one question is a platform question. Hmm. So there's a lot of online options for how to present something. I mean, you could just write an outline for a Bible study and put it on a blog, or you could try to make it live be, via Facebook or uh, YouTube. Uh, then there's the the sort of meeting space, which is an option as well. Mm-hmm. So Zoom or Microsoft Teams or something like this. Yeah. And um, And we decided to uh, to go for Zoom for the platform that we would use because it had that back and forth sense to it because there was more of a community and because we could expand it to have a bunch of people on there. And we're still using Zoom Hmm. uh, on Sunday morning on our Wednesday night Bible study. And also we have a worldwide Bible study that meets on Wednesday morning. So we just had that this morning and had like, I think we probably had uh, 80 people jumping Hmm. in from all around the world Hmm. for that worldwide Bible study. And, and that's a, that's a, that showed itself to be a really good platform. And even we did um, we did our Wednesday evening prayer services on Zoom for a long time, hmm. and I could do the liturgy part, and then I could hand it over to our um, to our organist, our music director, who was at home, who could he was playing hymns on the piano, and we could show the words, and people could sing along at home, and things like that. And then we could have questions and look at each other. That was really great. But the other question, though, once we went for Zoom, is who should we? open this up or should we limit it? Mm-hmm. So I, I had done some you know YouTube stuff and some uh, online stuff and we were worried that if we j- just had our Sunday morning Bible study open to whoever wanted to jump in that we would have that the members would be overwhelmed by the people who were not members. Hmm. Was that your concern or, or did some lay people bring that to you what, what was that, who, who, who's discuss, discussing it yeah. around the table? That was my concern, and mm. I brought that to the elders, mm. and I said, I, I would like to preserve a place that's that's a congregational place, mm. where the people recognize each other, where there's safety uh, in the conversation, where it's it's public, but it's not public, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not a secret, hidden thing, but neither is it... I, I want there to be a place where people can ask questions, and it's not going to show up on YouTube or the yeah. internet or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But I also wanted to recognize that we di- we had this reach and this opportunity with people moving online to teach farther and broader. So we decided to do two things, to to limit our Sunday morning Sunday school class to members and family and friends and kind of people who were known to the congregation and mm-hmm. to the members. And then we started a, the worldwide Bible study where we 
we open it up to the world and we record that and we post the video on YouTube and anybody who wants to can join in the Zoom call. We do about 45 minutes of teaching, which is recorded, and then we stop the recording and we let everyone share their screen and uh, and jump in and ask questions and hmm. have conversation. Hmm. And so we, we sort of have two different things that are serving two different audiences. And that has been, that's been helpful and a good experiment. So uh, instead of trying to do kind of kill two birds with one stone and, and have a congregational Bible study that then you opened up to everybody, you decided to do two different things. Uh, what, what have you learned by experimenting that way? Well, the, number one, that you cannot be the pastor to the internet. Hmm. This is probably a lesson that um, we knew, but it was good to have that confirmed. <laughs> right. We're not supposed to be the pastor to the internet. Yeah. Everything that I've been doing online lately, I've been encouraging people, go to your pastor's Bible class. And, and very recently, I've been saying, your pastor is the best pastor, hmm. because there's this danger that we're drawn to the pastors and teachers on the internet who have extra charisma or whatever, and then we begin to despise our own pastors in our own eyes, and that's that's a demonic temptation, and we have to resist it. So hmm. we also, on the teaching side of things and on the congregation side of things, I have to. I think we have to think that way as well. We can't be the congregation for the Internet. We can't yeah. be the pastors for the Internet. That's just not what God has called us to do. We can provide resources, and the success of the Worldwide Bible Study, uh, which you know currently meets on Wednesday mornings, and we're studying the Holy Spirit, and we had a big study on hope. We studied the Gospel of Mark. That has given me the idea that it will be possible to build an online school for continuing education. Hmm. And so we're starting to work on this, like to just say, what would it be like to have teachers and pastors who have certain expertise who could come on and teach a six-week class on on communion mm -hmm. or a 10-week class on the end times or even do an introduction to biblical Greek mm -hmm. and offer these classes uh, on an online platform for people who are interested in that. And that, that'd be a way for for those people, there's a handful of these people in every congregation that are very serious about their theology. They're not going to leave their vocation and go to seminary. They don't have time to to go to college and, and study theology in a formal way, but they would love to have something more than their couple of weekly Bible classes at their own church. And so mm -hmm. to provide that for them, I think this is a great opportunity, and we're looking pretty seriously at that. And so that's one of the things that's come out of seeing how these things have worked out. Hmm. Uh, like like you said, whenever you see someone who's doing something awesome uh, online, you always have the temptation to wish your pastor were doing something awesome too. Or uh, if you're a pastor, you can feel shame that you didn't do things uh, nearly as awesome enough. And uh, I think the whole COVID experience uh, is an exercise in that. Everybody was trying to figure out what to do. And I saw some congregations simply stream their services. I saw many congregations do something specifically, record something specifically for people at home. I, I don't know that I've seen someone else do what you did, which I thought was very creative to resource in-home worship quite the way you did. Uh, and same thing with the Bible class. Not every pastor who listens to this podcast would have a successful 80-person Bible class if they opened it up to everybody. But on the other hand, I guess the reason I'm interested in talking to you, Brian, is not merely the success of what you did, although I appreciate that and I like the answers you gave. I'm particularly interested in in this way you it seems to me that you have had of, of thinking both theologically and creatively uh, when you come to even a time of kind of crisis and upheaval. Uh, there's these problems and you You've, you've found a creative answer, but it's one that you thought through theologically as well. 
how, how are you able to do that? Who helps you do that? What's going on in your mind and heart as you approach these kind of questions or problems? I don't know. That's a great mystery. Uh, I, I've, I, I suppose my advantage is I, I was thinking about some of these things before um, COVID hit, and and I think that there's more on the way. So hmm. uh, in some ways, I think that COVID was almost like a, a dress rehearsal for some of the things that are coming along. And and so I think it's good for us to be reflecting on what we did learn in COVID. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just to be able to say things like, hey, we're not closing church, you know, mm. I mean, just to have that sort of resolve going forward to, to recognize. I mean, I think one of the there was a, something of a controversy about should you do communion at home? Mm-hmm. And I think that was a good chance to reflect on the different and that it, reflecting on that is is where this difference between the word of God spreading and mm. the sacraments gathering that distinction came clear for me, and that was sort of helpful. That you know, the controversies are helpful to clarify these sorts of things. Hmm. I think my maybe, and and I don't know if people are, if anybody's watching how I think about these things. I don't know if they would identify this hmm. as a pillar of thought. But but one of the things that seems like a pillar of thought in my own imagination is that there's a there's a social media paradox. Which is which is dangerous for us to miss, and that is that um, to do well on social media is to not try to do well. <laughs> the The more serious you take it, the less helpful it becomes. And so, to recognize to recognize that essential to social media is the fact that it's not essential. Hmm. Uh, what I think one of the dangers that the church fell into, I, and I've been thinking about this a lot this week, is that when COVID hit, we th- we thought, well, we got to go online. The church has to be online. The services have to be online. We must do this, or the, or we'll die. If you have that idea of must hmm. when it comes to these sorts of things, then in a in a paradoxical way, it deflates the tire. You you pump the tire up so much that it starts to <laughs> deflate, and and I. Uh, one of the sadnesses that I have is that people went into the social media thing with this sense of urgency and almost desperation, hmm. and then it, it just shows up that that you're urgent and desperate, and it and it undoes itself. And so I think we have to have a very playful um, sense of what this all means. We got to hold it really loose. Like, I, I don't know, I probably made a thousand YouTube videos and none of those videos are backed up. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure at some point I'll just lose them all and they'll be gone. And I'm going to be happy about that. That it's, this is just very temporary. I, I, I don't, it's, it's very ephemeral. Hmm. And if we can recognize it in that way, the word of God, of course, is not. But all of this stuff is. And if we can recognize it, then we actually do better as we as we get on there and, and start goofing around trying to make something helpful. Well, and that, that playful attitude uh, comes across in, in what you do online. And I think it has to come with the possibility of failure. If you've got a thousand YouTube videos and you could lose them at any time uh, and you're not that concerned about it, that means any particular video has to be ha- have the chance of falling flat on its face. So, so I'm just wondering what one of the things I've noticed in this kind of uh, social media culture we live in is is pastors especially tend to feel like if you put something out online, 
it's in danger of, I don't know, perhaps even bringing you up on doctrinal charges. You know, like someone will go through and find something you said that wasn't quite right, or uh, you're afraid of failing, or afraid of looking like an idiot, or afraid of saying something wrong, or afraid of being under attack. So how is there a personal attitude or, or something you bring to to your ministry that says, hey, I'm, I'm going to put this out on there, and if it's not successful, how, how do you manage to keep the social media stuff not nearly as important as some people kind of seem to think it is? I, I, we have to expect failure. So, mm. so you got to try stuff in, in some ways hoping it's not going to work, because every time something doesn't work, I mean, there's so many great things you learn at failure. I mean, it's just personally, it's it's better to fail than to succeed because you're learning and you're growing and you're avoiding all the dangers of success and everything mm-hmm. like this. So, so I I think you start with those those low expectations and that's great. Uh, and then and and to see what happens. One of the great things about social media is you get instant feedback. Mm. And so I mean I don't know. I think I started like three podcasts just in the last few months. You know, I mean, just start it and try it and it ah, didn't feel good or something wasn't right about it. You restart, you do something again, you tool around on on YouTube. It's great because you just throw out a playlist and you try something that's this, this way or that way. I, I remember one time I went to the, oh, the I thought I had this great idea. <laughs> oh, this is so <laughs> I went to the craft store and I bought like $10 worth of uh, popsicle sticks and I, I built this um this goofball contraption that would allow me to print off the face of a church father and swing it back and forth while I read a quotation from the church father. And I called it the church father swingificator. (laughs) And I thought this was going to be the greatest thing. You know, here I am with my hot glue gun building this little goofy contraption. It was terrible. I mean, it was just, it was just dumb and it didn't go anywhere. Then, Then that got me praised. That's great. I mean, this is, so Carrie and I started, oh, I, I, we, when we got married 22 years ago, I said, honey, someday, oh, I hope that I can have a bad idea fund <laughs> and it would be money set aside in the budget. Uh, who knows, you know, a hundred bucks a, a, a year or something where I can waste it on something stupid and, uh, and there won't be any danger for failure. Yeah. But all so you only have the possibility of success, hmm. and so we got we've got a bad idea fund now, and basically <laughs> my whole my whole thing, the website and the, the YouTube and 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 everything else that we're doing online is part of the bad idea fund, and and it's so it's there for experimentation and for trying and seeing if it works, and if it works, it's great, and if it doesn't work, well, that's just what that's what you expect. So you can't you can't hold yourself so seriously. And to the theological point. I want to always teach the truth of the Lord's word, and I always want to be confident that what I'm saying is in line with the scriptures and with the Lutheran confessions. And one of the great advantages of putting it out there is that if I'm wrong, someone will let me know. Mm. And so I don't want to be afraid of being caught mm. by being wrong. I made a video about um, the rapture, and I said the word to be taken away in the flood is the same as to be taken away in judgment. And someone got on there and said, no, you're wrong. It's different words. And they were right. I don't know where I got the idea. Mm-hmm. They were right. And mm-hmm. that gave me the opportunity to say, you were right. I was wrong. I'm sorry for getting that wrong. Yeah. And and we should look for the opportunities to, to be caught saying something wrong. We shouldn't be afraid of that because then we get to get closer and closer step by step uh, to the, like you talked about, the next step. It's one step closer yeah. to to speaking and and teaching the fullness of the Lord's word. 
Well, th- thanks for that thought and that freedom. I think that's, uh, in some ways, the freedom of the gospel being lived out, even for a pastor. I'm, I'm free to fail. I'm, I'm free to admit that my devotional life with my family is not what I would like it to be. I'm feel free to do something on Facebook or on YouTube that, that doesn't work. And uh, none of that affects my salvation, nor is it, uh, nor does it reflect on how God thinks about me. God be praised, I failed at that. That was very helpful. So uh, thanks mm-hmm. for all of those encouraging mm-hmm. words. Hey, well, be- before well. we're done, is there is there any last word of encouragement you would have for a pastor wondering about, you know, trying something new, running an experiment? Uh, what what kind of word of encouragement might you give to a yeah. brother? I remember that joy is is a um, joy. The joy of our salvation is our armor. Uh, the, uh, how does how does um, Nehemiah talk about that? Mm. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah. So if we can approach these things joyfully, not with the spirit of compulsion and necessity, but with joy, then then that really shines through, and that's really wonderful. So so to know that that we're set free, the Lord has bound us to His Word and to and to our people that we serve, and then He set us free to to, to love and serve in all sorts of different ways. So we can rejoice. Really, really rejoice in that, uh, in those gifts that the Lord gives. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Pastor, what a a wonderful conversation today. Thank you for your input and your insight. And God bless your ministry there at St. Paul. Thank you. God be praised. That was Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, Senior Pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Austin, Texas. I'll put some links in the description of this podcast to his worldwide Bible study, as well as to an example of that home worship resource video we were talking about. If you found this conversation helpful or interesting, you might want to check out the new ebook from Next Step Press. It's called Preaching Post-COVID, What We've Learned About Sermons, Sermon Series, and Your Preaching Ministry. That ebook continues this conversation of how do we engage in a new and different kind of communication culture. You can find it on Amazon, but you can also get a thank you copy from our patrons by signing up to the Next Step Discipling Leader email group. There'll be links to that in the description as well. Well, special thanks to our patrons for making this possible. For more information on Next Step Press or to become a Next Step patron, visit www.findmynextstep.org. Thanks, and we'll see you next time at Next Step Press.